This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Natasha Froze and I'm joined by James Heal and Katie Balls. Jeffrey Donaldson, leader of the DUP, has just said he will vote against the Windsor framework. Katie, that doesn't look great for Rishi Sunak at the moment. Um, what's happened? Yeah, I think this will be disappointing for 10 Downing Street. Uh, ultimately, there was no expectation that the DUP would be cheering this deal on or rushing through the eye lobby. But there was a hope that you wouldn't have um, the DUP as a group all vote against it. And what Jeffrey Donaldson, the leader, has said today is that the party will you know, unambiguously all be voting against the Windsor framework. Now, the part that's being voted for on Wednesday is the Stormont break. This, when the deal was first unveiled, was probably seen as one of the most significant wins, which I think is one of the reasons the government which does not need to have a vote in the first place to get this through. But I think to not have a vote would have angered the Commons and people can find ways to force votes. But this is one of the reasons they're going for this as the vote. Ultimately, it is a mechanism by which you could have a unionist majority, so two parties come together to veto new single market rules from the EU that would then need the UK government to also agree, but therefore you can stop Northern Ireland from diverging. Now, some people thought this is one of those things that actually, objectively, I think, has been talked about in the past, but Brussels never gave, so it was a win. Um, but others, and I think this is the concern of the DUP, worry about the circumstances in which it would really be used. Um, the EU suggested it was almost an, an emergency measure, as opposed to something which could be used uh, fairly regularly. And also you'd have to have Westminster consent. So you had some in the DUP raising concerns about whether that would actually be given. But this is reflective, of course, more of the DUP's view as a whole deal. And I think this is disappointing because Sammy Wilson, Ian Paisley Jr., really seen as a more on the hardline end of the DUP. So we're, you know, very quick out the blocks when the deal was first announced, the framework to say, we don't like these parts. But the hope was if actually Jeffrey Donaldson and others could abstain and have a mixed reaction. And what this does is it suggests that the route to power sharing, which is ultimately one of the key hopes when you agree the Northern Ireland Protocol. It's not the only reason Richard Zuno has done this deal. One of the key prizes is to restore power sharing. And therefore, it seems as though, you know, it's a longer path and more questions about where that will really happen. Though I think it is just worth pointing out there are, there's more than one reason why some in the DUP don't uh, you know, have reservations about returning to power sharing, uh, not least that the Sinn Féin is currently the largest party. And I think Jeffrey Donaldson's statement reflects the fact that he was seen as one of the more conciliatory, deal-minded members of his party. Reading it, you know, he does say it's an improvement on what came before it, and he said there's things in there to welcome. Uh, but the key thing it does come down to is the break, as Katie says, but also the fact that it's only going to apply to future EU laws rather than those existing. And that's really what the issue is here, which is the continuation and maintenance of EU law over Northern Ireland and that of course was the key reason why the DUP in Northern Ireland wanted to leave the European Union that has not been resolved and that is why they have come out against it today in a statement which I think is more reasoned and measured and considered than some in the party perhaps instinctively felt about this deal when it was announced. So it might seem like a bit of a step forward still because it's not quite as combative as it was. 
I'm not sure how much appetite there is to reopen negotiations again or anything like that, but I think it does reflect the fact that most people would seem to suggest this is an improvement on what came before it, even though it's not enough for the DUP um, themselves. And I think, as Katie says, it, it suggests that it's very unlikely we're going to see in the next month or so, but with Joe Biden coming to uh, Northern Ireland, any re- resumption of power sharing at Stormont, which will be a blow to, to Rishi Zunak, if not necessarily perhaps a surprise. Though I think power sharing was always going to be quite a slow process, but this is clearly a blow to it. Um, the idea it was ever going to happen overnight after this deal, I don't think was realistic. I think that to take a step back, Ultimately, this is not going to change the government's plan when it comes to pushing this through. They made an active choice uh, when they were negotiating it not to, as some in the ERG, the European Research Group of Tory Brexiteers, to have the DUP consulted as it went, or even, um, you know, partly because they didn't want leaks, and I think partly because they thought that would just add to, um, you know, another moving part in a really complex negotiation. So that decision was made. Some people warned at the time it made the DUP less likely to back it. But this is the course they're now on. And I think I think the fact that the DUP have taken this long to come up to a formal position, they had, you know, going through this, uh, you know, the legal text and and so forth. So there was a reason for it, but also means some of the air has been taken out of this in the sense this is a disappointment, but it is not, uh, you know, a furious, angry reaction. Like if you think back to, um, you know, the Brexit wars with Theresa May, we're in quite a different move here where the government proceeding anyway. No one is really saying this is in any way worse than the current protocol arrangement. It's just we're back to that. What's the benchmark? Are we? Are you, are you judging it on what it does compared to the Boris Johnson original agreement? Or are you judging it on what you'd like it to be in the first place? And that's why you're getting different responses. But of course, what this now does, if you have a situation where by the European Research Group of Tory Brexiteers are still to give their verdict. Now, they're going to be publishing their legal case. I think the fact that the DUP are not backing it, any one of them, um, is going to encourage some Tory Brexiteers to also say they're going to oppose it. So I think perhaps what's happened here really is Stormont's the main thing, but also I think the chance of this being a single-figure rebellion is looking less likely now, and it could be a bit higher in numbers. Momentum has been so key in these Brexit wars in terms of getting rebellions or getting your deal through, etc. Uh, and in this case, I think number 10, the way in which they lined everyone up, you remember that article, of course, by three former Brexit secretaries, uh, they really were great in kind of encouraging the middle ground and, and perhaps some of the centre-right to swing behind this deal. Uh, and therefore, the wind has gone out of the sails of those who wish to vote against it, not least, of course, because, of course, the main potential antagonist for that is going to be one Boris Johnson, who will be tied up elsewhere come uh, Wednesday afternoon. Speaking of Boris Johnson, he will be in Parliament on Wednesday, but we, we talked about whether he'd actually go to the vote last Friday in coffee house shots. Katie, what's going to happen ahead of Wednesday when he goes ahead of the Privileges Committee? So in advance, we've known that Boris Johnson's team wanted to submit evidence. Now, uh, there is some talk we'd have that by the time we're speaking and recording this podcast, um, but it has to go through the clerks first. We may not get it um, today even, and we are, of course, speaking on Monday. But you can see, I think, ultimately Boris Johnson trying to get on the front foot by putting his case forward. And then on Wednesday, what we expect to be about a four-hour session. So there's a question whether the, the two come together in the sense he Boris Johnson will be in the Commons on Wednesday, but we don't have the timings yet of the vote. But this will be a long session where you will have these figures of the committee trying to press him down on, uh, you know, if it is really convincing to say that he did not know that he was misleading Parliament when he said no rules were broken. And therefore, in the evidence dossier, you'll have things like messages. So I think a lot of the focus has been on, uh, you know, immediate aid saying to Boris, you know, Boris Johnson saying, 
is this right? And a media aide saying yes. And that would be used to say, well, he had insurances from his top team that he was putting out the right information in the House of Commons. Um, I think clearly the missing link is given Boris Johnson was Prime Minister and was coming up with the rules, or at least had a quite important role in agreeing them, is it really plausible to say that he would witness various things and not been able to put two and two together to think that perhaps they were not in uh, you know, in breach of the rules uh, and that really what they're looking for. I think what is a good or bad scenario for Boris Johnson? Clearly the worst thing that could happen for Boris Johnson, I think at least in the short term, is obviously the committee finds that he did intentionally mislead the House of Commons and then that they recommend a suspension and if this is over 10 sitting days, recall petition, you end up with a by-election as we spoke about last week. Um, I think from Rishi Sunak's perspective... That is pretty undesirable. Um, if you think about speaking to you know, Tory MPs, ministers, the idea of having the whole show of uh, a Boris Johnson by-election, also MPs having to choose how to vote on a suspension, which would have so much impact in terms of what it could lead to, which is a former prime minister being ousted from the House of Commons. Um, I think that's something that most would like to avoid. And therefore, um, I think the, the idea, you know, some will say, oh, it'd be great for Rishi Sunak if Boris Johnson is no longer in the House of Commons. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. And it would be a uh, pretty un uncomfortable scenario for all sides if it, if it does get to that point. What I would also just add is that I think George Osborne said something interesting yesterday on the uh, you know Channel 4 show which was that um, the circus has effectively moved on. I think you talk to a lot of MPs I, I, I still think that while there is a number, a significant minority of the 350 or so MPs in the House who, who are significantly vexed about this, I, I still think that the the media is perhaps moving away from, from Boris and everyone will be watching and there'll be a great box office. I'm not sure whether it would, he is such a central figure to the Conservative Party's fortunes as he once was. Either way, even if he comes out of this and he pulls a blind and he gets no suspension, I still think he'll be a somewhat diminished figure by that interim report and the likely scraps he's going to have to get himself into on Wednesday. I think it's all about political weather and effectively if we had just had a string of events and take the DP aside but I think you can still say the Windsor framework has gone well for Rishi Sunak in the sense it has led to a boost um, in terms of how many in his party have seen him and lots of senior Tory Brexiteers have already said they back it. Um, then you had the budget which has landed okay you've had small boats which at least for now I think MPs are pretty happy with the legislation and then you have things like AUKUS and how Rishi Sunak is seen on the world stage and it means there is just a bit more of a spring in the step of losing number 10 than there was a month ago. And if a few things just gone a little bit, uh, you know, off, then we have a situation where I think people are talking about Boris Johnson this week, much more in a, this could be the comeback moment, Rishi Sunak is struggling. That's not to say, you know, things can change quickly. Let's see what happens as a result of this DUP announcement. But it means you're no longer, I think there was a sequencing, which was, um, Privileges Committee, Boris Johnson could clear his name, difficult local elections, that's the time for Boris Johnson to strike. That is not a mainstream view in the Tory party right now. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thanks for listening. <laughs>